0: LegalizeFreedom.com
1: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. My name's Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Chris Cole from Drone Wars UK. His website is dronewars.net. We'll be talking about the growing use of drones, otherwise known as unmanned aerial vehicles or UAVs, in combat and surveillance. As governments and military increasingly engage in warfare and spying by remote control, who, or what, is really in charge? Aerial drones and ground-based robots are becoming ever more intelligent and autonomous. Once they become self-aware, Will humans be removed from split-second life-and-death decisions? And as this technology moves from the combat zone to our streets, will the nightmare futures of science fiction finally become reality? Oh, well, hello and welcome, Chris. And uh, thank you very much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Hello, thanks for having me. Now, we're here to discuss um, the issue of drones, um, otherwise known as uh, unmanned aerial uh, vehicles, sometimes UAVs. And um, for those who are, uh, most people will be aware of the use of drones uh, in battlefield situations due to uh, some mainstream news coverage. But um, to give us a wider view um, of the issue, perhaps you could tell us something about the background to the development and use of drones. Sure.
0: Um, well, Various people trace Uh, the origins of drones back even a couple of hundred years really to um, balloons um, laden with explosives. But I think really uh, in modern history I suppose it goes back to the First World War where British um, RAF pilots began to use radio controlled uh, aircraft but when the war ended, the First World War ended, that kind of quickly uh, stopped that line of development. It was taken up by the U.S. initially and then later Israel. And really, since the 70s, early 80s, there's been a, a, a growing uh, development of, as you say, unmanned aerial vehicles or drones. Um, I think over the last five or six years, really, we've seen this massive increase I think a particular development was around just before and just after 9-11 when the first um, uh, missile was launched on an unmanned aerial vehicle. Um, initially, a test uh, took place in the United States and then it was used for the first time in Afghanistan. Um, so a crucial element of all this has been the, the development of... Uh, military-hardened satellites around the globe, which has enabled the drones to be controlled from distances of thousands of miles away. So we now have drones operating in uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan that most people know about, but also US drones are launching strikes in Yemen and Somalia and Libya. And the UK also uses armed drones that have been about 250 drones, British drone strikes in Afghanistan, and Israel, too, uh, uses armed drones. So they're the three countries that at the moment are using armed drones. But about 50 other countries as well are known to be developing or trying to acquire armed drones.
1: Now, in case people aren't aware, um, essentially these things, as you might expect, I suppose, they look a lot like um, conventional uh, fighter planes in some cases like conventional bombers. Um, so basically obviously the operation of them is a little bit more sophisticated than it was in the remote control days. Um, but, um, so uh, operation systems, how are these things controlled, um, today? Uh, well, drones, the term drones and unmanned vehicle
0: covers a kind of wide range of different, uh, aircraft, um, Uh, The kind of drone that we're talking about that looks like um, a conventional aircraft is the kind of larger end, the um, the military uh, drones, military drones. There are also much smaller drones um, that can raise, you know, that can be the size of um, a small model aircraft, really, right up until, as you say, the kind of drones that look pretty much like a conventional uh, aircraft, military aircraft. Um, they're controlled, um, the larger ones indeed, the ones that we're talking about that are used in Pakistan and Afghanistan and around the world for uh, launching drone strikes, controlled via satellites, as I say, using wireless technology. And the pilots sit in um, a cockpit, well, that isn't in the cockpit. It can be thousands of miles away, um, and they control, uh, they have a, a set of controls very, very similar at the moment to a traditional cockpit, and they control um, via satellites, the aircraft. There is a one or two second delay, which, which leads to problems sometimes. But it's uh, at the moment, the ones that are in uh, operation are controlled uh, remotely. Drones are now being developed that will, are not being controlled via a, a pilot, but they are flying much more autonomously, a pre-programmed flight plan it is programmed into the, into the drone's computer and it follows. So they aren't controlled via uh, uh, the ground, if you like. So there are two types. The, the ones that are being used at the moment are controlled by pilots, but uh, more advanced ones are being tested and developed all the time.
1: Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to the issue of, um, of autonomous uh, drones and where that um, all might be going. Uh, we'll get on that in due course. Um, but fundamentally, uh, can we just address the question of of why drones have been developed? Because some people will be thinking, um, okay, so you don't have a, a pilot actually up there in the sky in that machine. But beyond that, what what's the great benefit? I mean, why is so much money gone into the development and deployment of these things? Well, there there is a, a kind of various various reasons really why there's
0: been this kind of massive. Uh, growth in the use of drones. Firstly, technological reasons in that um, uh, because, as I said, the, the, the development of wireless technology and the ability to transmit huge amounts of data wirelessly, um, together with miniaturization, the, the ability to, to, to make equipment much smaller, and as I say, the growing availability of military-hardened satellites. So technological reasons is one reason there are economic reasons as well uh, drones at the moment tend to be much cheaper than a traditional military aircraft so a, uh, like an F16 or a tornado aircraft would tend to cost around 50 to 60 million dollars whereas a, a reaper or predator drone costs around 10 to 15 million dollars so that's another reason uh, economics um and <clears throat> Uh, strategic reasons, I think this is one of the most important reasons for military stats. the big difference between manned aircraft and drones is that drones are able to loiter in the sky for long periods of time um, a, a, a manned aircraft really can only be on station if you like for between four, four to six hours when the pilot is at their peak um, whereas the drones that are flying over uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan at the moment can pretty much stay on <coughs> and loiter over a particular town or area or compound for 15, 16, 20 hours, something like that. Uh, and drones are being developed all the time to be able to stay uh, stay in the air much longer. Um, a Zephyr drone, which is an experimental drone, has just well, about a year ago now broken the record for staying aloft longest. It was stayed aloft for two weeks non stop. Uh, so that's a really big, important military strategic reason, the ability to loiter over a particular area for long periods of time. That's another reason. And and I guess another uh, reason is political. Uh, That is, um, uh, in the kind of modern age, uh, the public doesn't really like to see soldiers coming back in coffins or body bags uh, from interventions overseas. So there's a real uh, dislike of that. Drones obviously give you the ability to intervene overseas militarily without the risk to your own forces. So, all those reasons technological, economic, political, and strategic have kind of come together really to see. And that's why we're seeing kind of really massive increase in the use of armed drones.
1: Yeah, well, you used the word uh, intervention there, which um, is something that you'll hear in the the mainstream media a lot, but uh, it's almost Uh, sort of uh, sanitizes it, doesn't it? Because we shouldn't kid ourselves that um, whatever amount of surveillance um, is being conducted by drones, um, in most occasions, this is about killing people.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, drones are are very much used for surveillance and also for for launching uh, attacks, uh, for both reasons,
1: yeah. Now, it was 10 years ago, uh, you referred to, that the, the U.S. first fired a um, missile from a drone on a test range. And then it was uh, not long after 9-11, I think it was November 2001, that the first operational armed drone strike took place in Afghanistan. And it's sort of significant that it happened at that time, because since then, I mean, we basically had a, a state of perpetual war, um, the so-called War on Terror. And it doesn't look like this is going to be coming to an end anytime soon. So, for all the reasons that you mentioned, why drones are being uh, favoured and developed, their, their use increased. Um, you can see how this would dovetail with um, with a state of perpetual war um, for, you know, economic, strategic, and uh, reasons you cited for, you know, bodies coming back home in body bags. Um, for all those reasons in particular, um, the drones are going to play an increasing role on, on all those fronts. Indeed. And
0: I, and I think it's not <coughs> just that, that, um, this kind of ongoing war, uh, is, um, uh, ongoing in time, but it's also, you know, the whole world has been turned into a battlefield. Uh, there is nowhere that isn't, uh, safe, if you like. Uh, the U.S. believes that it has the authority now to launch attacks whenever and wherever it likes. Uh, so uh, as I think the American uh, Civil Liberties Union uh, said recently the whole world is now a battlefield, That's extremely worrying, of course.
1: Yes, well, um, we talk about the US, of course, and they, they tend to lead the way still, even with all their uh, overstretch of the military and their economic problems at home, still by far the biggest military in the world uh, likely to remain so. Uh, but it's not just the US. They may have led the way, Um, on the drone front. But uh, here in the UK as well, our own government um, has got its fingers in that particular pie. So what's the state of play regarding the British military and and the use of drones? Um, Well, the
0: the British military has four drones in active service at the moment and others under development. Um, They range from um, kind of very small, almost Henry the Hoover-like T-4 drone which is used to uh, kind of fly maybe 10, uh, uh, 100 to a couple of hundred yards away to look at suspicious uh, devices. So it's a very small drone. And then they have the, um, the Hawk drone, which is uh, almost like a model aircraft that can be just kind of thrown up in the air and flies. And for a kilometre or two to kind of look just over the horizon or over the hill really, to bring back information to ground troops. Then there is the Hermes um, uh, 450, which is uh, the drone that's used for targeting of artillery strikes, and that's been in Afghanistan. And that's we rent that drone uh, on a per-hour basis from an Israeli uh, company called Elbit Systems. And that's kind of been a little bit embarrassing, if you like, for the... Uh, military not having that capability themselves, so they very much rush through the development of a new drone called the Watchkeeper drone, which is um, I was going to say a virtual clone, but it is a clone of the Hermes drone, and that's been um, uh, produced in in Leicester uh, as a manufacturing uh, uh, owned by Thales, and that will be coming into service. Any day now, it should have already been in service, but it has been delayed. But the, at the moment, the Hermes drone is being used by the army to target uh, artillery strikes. Uh, but it'll soon be the watchkeeper drone. And then we have the Reaper drone, which is the armed drone uh, that we bought from the United States from General Atomics. We have five of those in operation. It may be six by now. Um, I think I'm hearing another drone has been uh, uh, put into service. Um, uh, the, U- David Cameron agreed to double the number of drones from, uh, armed drones from five to ten December 2010. So slowly these, more of these drones are being, um, integrated into British service in the United States. Currently, the RAF operates the drones. The drones themselves are obviously in the theater in Afghanistan, but they're operated uh, by a remote control from Creech Air Force Base in Nevada. But uh, later this year, uh, we were expecting it to be the summer, but again, I'm hearing it maybe a bit later now, Uh, the drones, RAF pilots will start operating the drones from here in the UK. And we know uh, from Freedom of Information requests that there have been more than 250 British drone strikes in Afghanistan. But we know very little detail about those strikes Um, There is much more information about the so-called secretive CIA strikes in Pakistan and Yemen uh, than there is about the British drone strikes in Afghanistan.
1: Now, you mentioned the CIA, and uh, this may raise a few eyebrows um, with listeners, but this isn't just a purely military thing by any means. I mean, there are drones being used for various purposes, uh, various private companies, but the fact that the CIA, the U S central intelligence agency, um, have got their own fleet, uh, of drones, um, is also, uh, raises different concerns, um, because they're being used some, some obviously overlap with military, um, agendas, but, um, there's perhaps say something about what, you know, the difference between, or perhaps similarities with what the CIA would be doing with drones. Yes. I mean,
0: um, uh, under international law, um, uh, the, the military is supposed to conduct military operations. Uh, um, the central intelligence agency is outside um, military control and, and has no proper public accountability. or legal, you know. um, So it is um, unlawfully, many would say, and many lawyers have, have um, given that opinion uh, for the CIA to operate uh, drone strikes, particularly outside um, uh, what have been declared theatres of war, such as Af- Afghanistan. Um, but the, the Central Intelligence Agency, we know from um, leaks and also just recently uh, of President Obama and the counter-terror- US counterterrorism chief advisor John Brennan has uh, acknowledged finally after many years. That the CIA is indeed conducting the strikes. Um, So there are many, many legal concerns about about that um, operating targeted killings, assassinations, as we would call them, outside the laws of war.
1: Um, Yeah, these are the so-called extrajudicial killings that we sometimes hear about. Um, But absolutely. Quite often these, these are happening when, you know, we, we, sometimes in the media you'll hear a report, for example, of a drone strike and it's suspected insurgents and alleged terrorist leaders. And sometimes those words are slipped in and we don't perhaps notice them. But quite often, particularly in the case of the CIA, it's about taking out people that they believe have yes. done something or are doing something or may do something in future. I mean, in that case, yes. it's getting to be like Minority Report or something. It is. I
0: mean, it, it is worrying. Um, uh, Philip Alston, who was the special, uh, the UN special rapporteur on extrajudicial, he's been very much somebody who's been challenging the US and also the UK by uh, implicitly about these uh, extrajudicial killings. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't long before nine eleven. It was a few months before nine eleven that the US absolutely condemned Israel for undertaking targeted killings and, and uh, so here we are um uh, 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 10 years later and they're doing it um all the time now there are two types of uh what are called targeted killings uh, by the US there is those that um may go after particular individuals and um, i guess the most famous recent one has been that of anwar al awaki who was a US a joint US yemeni citizen um, who was killed um, who was alleged again alleged to be a senior member of al-qaeda in the arab peninsula um, and three times uh, the u.s tried to kill him with drone strikes and on the third time they did but there have been no charges at all whatsoever laid against him so although the u.s uh, claim that there has been due process in his uh, targeted killing but um they said it's due process, not um, um, what the word is, um, uh, uh, accountable process or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's one, one type of targeted killing where there, there there is an individual that's on a list, and there has been some sort of process to uh, uh, put him on that list and target him or her. But there is another type of list, as you say, they are called so-called signature strikes where the person or the group of people have supposed to have the signature of al-Qaeda operatives or the hallmark of al-Qaeda operatives. And this is often taken from movement of vehicles and uh, kind of movements around a particular compound or location. And, and so those people are then targeted for assassination because they have the... Or like the hallmark or the signature of, of Al Qaeda operatives, and as Philip Alston said, you know, once you start using this methodology, once you start deciding to uh, target people for killing, um, it will get wider and wider. And he has been proven correct in this that, um, you know, initially this, the, the 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 CIA and the US said they were taking out the senior leaders of Al Qaeda, and it's now gone down to. A situation where it's much more—we don't even know who these people are being targeted for assassination.
1: Mm. Well, I and mean, we've had problems uh, documented in the past with um, fighter pilots, particularly in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you know, because we see some of the footage has been released or leaked um, of innocent people being um, uh, attacked from the air and killed uh, because they. Uh, were behaving suspiciously, or they thought they had guns. It turns out they had, I don't know, shepherd's crooks or something. And that was with a pilot in the air directly above, albeit very far above um, the actual uh, scene. It, you only can aggravate, you know, the potential for, uh, you know, mistakes like that if someone is thousands of miles away. Uh, I'm not sure that the technology exists to uh, give them any greater a more accurate view of what's actually happening on the ground. I mean, I've seen a lot of pictures, some from uh, drone monitor monitoring stations and some from, you know, in cockpit footage from actual fighter planes. And we sometimes think that quality is going to be like, you know, television or something. But it's very often very unclear what's going on on the ground. It is indeed. I mean, and I think, that
0: again, that's another concern that um, there is this kind of belief and faith in the, uh, the clarity of the drone camera pictures and the accuracy of drone strikes um, which is, you know, far from proved to be correct. Uh, last year, two U.S. Uh, soldiers were killed in a U.S. drone strike, mistakenly. And, um, you know, so that's, you know, some kind of indication that the accuracy and clarity of these cameras are not all that they should be or claim to be. And the father of one of the um, soldiers killed in that strike was shown by the military, the, the footage. And he said in the report to the Los Angeles Times, he told the Los Angeles Times reporter that, um, you know, all you could see were blobs on the screen. That's the phrase he used. And he said that you couldn't really see faces, you couldn't see uniforms, you couldn't see anything. He said it was just blobs moving around on the screen. So there is real concern that although um, there is lots of uh, claims that the, the footage is, is very clear and uh, the, the weapons are incredibly accurate, um, that um, that it isn't so. And we need much more infla- information about this to be re- released.
1: And well, that, that's another vital issue, isn't it? Because the use of drones um, is on the increase. I mean, and it's, it's in the open to the extent that we're here talking about it and you see some media reports, but accurate information um, is very difficult to access. Absolutely,
0: particularly um, in, in the UK, um, there is uh, virtually nothing. Uh, the, the MOD uh, refuses to answer all questions about drone strikes and to um, divulge any information or any details about the more than 250 drone strikes. And their their argument is that any information uh, would put British soldiers, any information released about drone strikes, would put British forces at risk. And, you know, we've argued that, uh, you know, with more than 250 drone strikes now, there must be some information about, uh, drone strikes that can be released. Um, but they, they are simply stonewall and, and refusing to release any information. And, and the, di- the danger is that far from saving lives, you know, you know, keeping all this secret, keeping all this behind closed doors, um, uh, will, will put more British lives risk. Just this weekend, um, uh, another counterterrorism official uh, has resigned, and uh, a US counter official has resigned, and says that the, you know the increased use of drone strikes is turning more and more people into terrorists, and the same thing could be happening in Afghanistan, and unless we really investigate this, and unless we have a proper debate and have, have you know using proper information. We can't know really what's happening about these drone strikes. So there's a real, it's very important that we pressurise uh, the MOD to release more information about these drone strikes.
1: Now, um, one of the key restraining factors um, in military operations is the risk to human beings, personnel um, on the ground or just in the theatre generally. And once you remove that Um, as you would do with with drones, I mean, that opens up, um, as I see it, some very dangerous possibilities if you're no longer having to, as a commander, you're no longer having to factor that in. Um, Yes, you you don't want to lose too many of your machines, but in uh, conflict situations we've seen in history, uh, where there's a, a high risk to sort of human life, that is a major factor in, in planning and strategy. And where you are just risking machines or in the case of for example, you're on a bombing mission and your only cost really is bombs, uh, the, sort of the gloves tend to come off and it's like, uh, you know, hell for leather. And that, that's not going to, um, that doesn't bode well if drones are going to play an increasing part in, in you know, future warfare.
0: That, that's right. I mean, I think for me, the primary concern about drones uh, is the fact that the so-called risk-free warfare will mean that there will be more wars in the future. Uh, and not only more wars in general, but more attacks within those, more armed attacks. Because, um, as you say, uh, you know, the traditional restraint on launching attacks has always been, you know, the risk to your own forces. But if you take that restraint away, why won't there be more wars? Why won't there be more attacks? Um, if there is no restraint, and it's kind of early in the era of the drone wars, really, uh, but already we're getting some indication of that. Uh, last year, 2011, the U.S. Um, was involved in conflicts in six different countries, pretty much simultaneously: uh, in Iraq and in Afghanistan, in Pakistan and Yemen, Somalia and Libya. All of those in all of those contra- conflicts using drones, many. Military commentators have, have, have kind of noted this and said that you know it really wouldn't have been possible for the U.S. to be engaged in so many wars um, without the use of drones. Yes. So that's kind of one indication that that drones are making war more likely already. Um, kind of another aspect of that is that you know the kind of as you say the kind of psychological and and physical distance between the drone operator and the target could make it easier for that uh, operator to launch weapons. So they're seeing kind of pixels rather than people. And again, it's kind of early and it's difficult to get the information because um, so much details about what's actually happening when a strike takes place is is uh, remains classified. But earlier this year, um, one report into a, um, a, a an attack on a convoy in which 24 civilians in Afghanistan were killed was released after pressure by freedom of information campaigners in the US. And that report uh, showed that there was, as, as the report put it, a propensity to kinetic attack by the drone operators. That meant that they were really keen that a, an attack actually took place. And when uh, some people who were Following the convoy via the video screen, noted or suggested that maybe children or civilians in the convoy. The drone operators really downplayed that information and, and kind of rubbished it because they wanted a, a drone attack to go to go ahead. And uh, one of in the report, one of the commanders at Creech uh, uh, admitted, if you like, that there was a real uh, top gun mentality amongst the drone pilots at Creech. So that's extremely worrying, and that's of course only one report, but it is the only report that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there needs to be much more investigation of what's happening when a drone strike actually happens.
1: Well, is it just me? I uh, suspect it's not. That's thinking of this and going. This is uh, when you're on. Well, i was going to say the right side of one of these uh, situations, but there is no right side. But isn't this beginning to look, you know, like a computer game?
0: Well, uh, yeah. I mean, yes, it's it's uh, ironic. is not the right word at all. But, you know, these kind of young men and women who are operating drones have kind of grown up on a game of, of uh, video warfare and, and they're moving from playing games of video warfare to being conducting warfare via video uh, uh, and maybe then going home in the evening and playing war video games. We don't know. Uh, so, yeah, it's extremely,
1: extremely worrying. Well, there, there's been, a, in the conspiracy arena, I've certainly heard information uh, put forward that um, the military are quite keen on a lot of uh, shoot-em-up um, computer games, uh, and now some of them, that one's currently uh, available and no doubt those in development. Are, can, realistic is perhaps the wrong word, but they're, they're certainly, um, you can get steeped in them. When you're playing these, they're, they're complete experiential um, games so that you get very, very much into what you're doing, and it's you could see how it would be not much of a leap to go from that to just looking at another screen with similar images on it. It's somehow unreal. It's pulling triggers, pressing buttons, bombs going off, and uh, you don't really hear it, you don't see it, you don't feel it, and then as you said, you just you just go home and have your dinner really, and that's it.
0: It, it is extremely. Huh, Ian? And as, as you say, the military are quite keen on video games, and we, we know that they use in military recruitment offices now um, video games to draw young people in where they can play, play games. And also, um, you know, on the U.S. Um, Air Force website, you can actually play at being a, video, a drone pilot. You know, there's a video game that you can play. And so it's, it's, it's all kind of almost science fiction, really, that you can go from playing at being a drone pilot to being
1: recruited and actually playing via video at war. Now, we're already seeing, um, you know, wars quite often these days are, are not declared as such. They just, you know, they just happen. As we said earlier, the U.S., you know, for, not solely the U.S. by any means, but generally speaking, the U.S. will just intervene somewhere. They might make a case for it in the media beforehand. And drones play into this blurring of... Uh, you know, as a war a war? And this, since 9-11, the state I referred to earlier, virtually in perpetual war. And if drones are able to be used uh, increasingly to, to to fly certain missions or achieve certain ends, then you can do that with less people involved, obviously. Uh, secrecy is easier to achieve if there's no one, you know, going out and flying a mission as such. You know, it's, it's just, you can do it with less people. You can do it more in secret. And you can do it, with less build-up, perhaps less preparation. Uh, And if it's in secret, then you don't need to make a case for it. It can all be done and dusted. No one really, you know, only the need-to-know insiders will be aware of of what's occurring. And it can just roll on. You know, it doesn't have to be a beginning and an end uh, in the way that there is with some military action. You know, for example, it's by by no means a bed of roses in Libya now, but there's a certain feeling that military action began there and it's now over um, with drones, uh, a future where they were perhaps, you know, involved in most uh, military action, then, it's, well, you know, when does the war begin and end?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think um, you know, if it's not too much of a cliché. People are saying it already drones are changing the nature of warfare. Um, uh, but, as you know, as you say, it's, it's much easier to intervene. It's, you know, much uh, light more likely that in the future there will not be a, you know, a start and an end to war there is just an ongoing uh war against terrorism as it's called now i'm sure there will be a new name eventually and that the whole world is a battlefield and at the at the moment it, it's primarily the us uh, and with the uk and israel as well but it won't be long before other nations china uh, uh, russia Iran, other countries will be getting this, and uh, we will see a kind of global conflict of drones.
1: Well, yeah, is it pot? Because we've sort of seen the end, the the era of armies in uh, a field somewhere squaring up against each other, you know, uh, 10,000 men on the left and 10,000 on the right, that's long gone. I mean, can we see a future of, of, you know, fleets of drones, you know, fighting each other uh, over some territory or some end? Uh, you know, a fleet of Chinese drones, you know, swarming over the US to be met by, you know, the fleet of US drones. I mean, that, that sounds very science fiction, but I suppose it's one possible future.
0: Well, it it's, um, certainly is one possible future, and it's one that's being planned for at the moment. The, the, main milit- the, the main problem the military have with drones at the moment is that they're very vulnerable. They're quite, comparatively quite slow and easy to shoot down. That's why they're being used. You know, in, in conflicts in, in theaters where there isn't any air defense. But uh, the, re- the military recognized that and are already developing uh, uh, technology that will able, able drones to defend themselves. Uh, and recently there was um, a uh, test, uh, an exercise, a military exercise um, where drones fought each other. The US, I think it was mostly. Uh, done virtually rather than done uh, physically. Uh, but that is beginning to be thought about. And some people would argue, well, maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe if, if it's just drones against drones, where people aren't uh, being killed or injured, that would be a good thing. But I suspect, um, as in all, all wars, the vast majority of, uh, of um, uh, injuries and uh, casualties are caused to people, particularly civilians, Yes, that will
1: continue. Well, speaking of uh, civilian deaths and uh, with the persistent presence of drones, which you mentioned earlier, um, drones can stay in the sky for longer. But also they're increasingly being deployed to sort of hover around, not on any particular mission as such or looking for any particular individual, but looking for suspicious behavior or um, what you refer to um, in your drone wars briefing as targets of opportunity, yeah. sort of, oh, well, we didn't know what we'd find today, but look, this is someone, or, you know, this looks like someone we've been on the lookout for. Uh, maybe we should take them out now. And this is a, a bit like the difference between police going out, detectives going out to investigate a crime and police perhaps on what's are known as fishing expeditions, where they're just tra- trawling, looking for something that may be of interest. And with drones engaging in looking for suspicious behaviour or so-called targets of opportunity, that's bound to lead to more civilian deaths.
0: Yes, indeed. I mean, I I, I think, again, we don't know because of the lack of information, but my reading of the, around the subject of my research has led me to believe that most of the civilian casualties in Pakistan, I and mean, we talk, we can talk about Pakistan because we have some data, some information about what's happened. but my belief is that most of the civilian casualties have come from this uh, uh drones looking for targets of opportunity rather than pre-planned missions and there does seem to be two types of uh uh ways which will, well just just to kind of clarify there is there seems to be three ways in which drones are being used at the moment firstly um just as as with manned uh, or piloted aircraft if you're about to attack or you're Troops come under attack. You use drones in the same way as manned aircraft for cover, overhead cover. And then the second way is this persistent presence where you're looking for targets of opportunity. And then the third way is the, you know, specific targeted assassinations. And I, as I say, I think it's the second way that drones are being used where they're kind of loitering over a particular region or area or even kind of village or compound looking for targets of opportunity. Um, where the civilian casualties appear to be coming from and that type of behaviour. But that is, again, uh, my surmise from the little information that we have. And again, we need much more information to be released to have a clear idea of where the civilian casualties are coming from.
1: Now, I suppose in, um, for example, the US drone strikes in, say, for example, Pakistan, Um, I've certainly... Read and heard some media spin where they're almost trying to use the fact that it was a drone attack to put some distance between themselves and what has happened on the ground, uh, which I don't think they can credibly do, but they do attempt to do that. But there's no uh, getting away from the fact that, I mean, as you would expect, drone uh, strikes in Pakistan are extremely unpopular. And uh, all the, if it's the US we're talking about, all they're doing is, is making enemies. I mean, we've seen this tendency in the entire um, so called war on terror. But uh, this is not really achieving an end. It might be a short term end, uh, taking out a particular leader somewhere, but they're, they're really storing up uh, many more problems for the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that Batasullah Mashhid, who was one of the, uh, the senior leaders of uh, uh, the Taliban in Pakistan before he and his family were assassinated by a drone strike, one of the things that he said was that for every drone strike, you got three new, um, people wanting to undertake suicide, uh, bomb attacks. Um, so there, and there is this uh, kind of real, uh, you can really see it that there is a kind of rise in hatred of the West every time there is a, a bomb, uh, a drone strike. And the, a number of the attempted assassination, uh, attempted a terrorist attacks, uh, in the US, um, uh, that they they've said that they were trying to undertake um, terrorist attacks, uh, suicide missions, because of the drone strikes. That was done. So this idea that you know that drones uh, somehow you know are helpful, are kind of increase the security and are a tool uh, to increase security uh, and take out the bad guys is, is unfortunately nonsense. Um, rather than increasing security, drone strikes decrease security.
1: Now, the issue that we touched upon earlier um, is increasing sort of autonomy of drones and uh, the related issue of um, self-awareness in some of these machines. And um, just reading from a recent article that you wrote uh, in the current issue of Nexus, and it's also material which people can find in your Drone Wars briefing if they're interested, uh, drones now in development uh, can take off by themselves, fly their pre-programmed mission, return and land all without the intervention of a human pilot. And this is a step on uh, even again from what we've been talking about earlier with a, a remote-controlled situation.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, um, uh, and and that's not uh, something that's happen- going to happen soon in the near near future. That's actually happening now. Um, that drones um, uh, can fly autonomously. There's a lot of argument about. What constitutes autonomy when it comes, well, when it comes to anything really, but when it comes to drones in particular, because that's the, the technology that's, uh, you know, most to the fore at the moment. But, and various people argue that there are different stages. Some say there are seven stages to full autonomy. Some say there are nine. Um, but at the moment we're, we're very much creeping towards, uh, full autonomy. Uh, it's some way off yet, I think, but it's not that far off. And the, here in the UK, the British government has said quite categorically, we are not currently planning to develop autonomous weapons, or we are not at the moment uh, planning to have a uh, human out of the loop when it comes to launching weapons. Because there is it's one thing for a drone to uh, take off and fly and come back and land by itself. It's completely different for a drone to decide when and where to launch weapons. Um the trouble is that we know that in lots of military research labs and British universities and American universities, uh, there is a real push to investigate this and research this. And the fear is that once the technology has been developed, once uh, uh, you know, that it's there, there is a real temptation. It's very difficult for political leaders not to put that into the field. So although the governments are saying, you know, there will always be a human in the loop when it comes to launching weapons. You know, in various military laboratories around the world, uh, you know, autonomy is being investigated at a very fast rate.
1: Yeah. And this sort of, in general, in the uh, military arena, you know, this research is not done for academic uh, curiosity purposes. It, if it starts out like that and it proves to be feasible technology, it gets developed to be used at some but- point. Absolutely. Just recently, um, the British Ministry of Defence put out a request
0: to kind of mar- uh, to marry, sorry, um, face recognition technology with, uh, with drones. So, you know, once this stuff is done kind of at an academic theory level, it soon gets picked up uh, and put together with other technology um, and will be used.
1: Well, yeah, it makes me think of, um, you know, when I hear stories of, uh you know, bi- biological agents being developed in labs that um, oh, you know, this will kill you know ninety five percent of living organisms. I mean, why are you developing it? <laughs> What's well, the per- why is it so heavily funded? I mean, we're not talking something that extreme, but you know, there, there's a lot of research that goes on that, on the face of it, either has no purpose or the only one we can think of would be incredibly negative or sinister, and yet it goes on. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. There are, uh, you know, various
0: kind of organizations campaigning for much more ethical behavior in, in the lab, military laboratory, the scientists for global responsibility, for instance. And, uh, unfortunately, I think academics can sometimes get detached from the, from the real, real world. And, you know, funding is a, is another issue. The only real people that have funding for lots of, um, this kind of technology and engineering are the military. It's, uh, Unfortunately, the universities have to chase that funding.
1: Yeah, there's an amazing number of, um, just on a side note, there's an amazing number of things in everyday life that were originally spun off from military technology. Um, uh, nothing springs to mind. things like Teflon and… Uh, yes, were, yeah,
0: but I mean they, they, they cost billions and billions of pounds to develop and, <laughs> and they, these things are kind of sp- spun off. I think that the vast amounts of money that are spent on research military technology could be put to much better use mm.
1: yeah because it, just because the military use drives the development of it doesn't mean that if you approach it from a different angle that you, you mean that you could have developed the same technology so, for entirely peaceful domestic sort of uh, everyday use yeah. now the the talk of autonomous drones where that could have that's taking us into the realms of science fiction really uh, and certainly i remember growing up reading science fiction novels and uh It's the stuff of dystopias was, uh, you know, sort of uh, well drones, basically, and robots, uh, you know, marauding around the place and uh, policing people and, uh, you know, decisions taken out of human hands. And I mean, it really is the realms of science fiction becoming science fact, which quite often happens. And we can think of films like Terminator and Robocop and to some extent in The Matrix where it's um, the the dynamic uh, between, uh, you know, humans has gone and it's, it's a human machine interface, which we have yet to develop one that uh, that, re- that really works very well.
0: Yes, I mean, um, I find myself as well reading much of this stuff and being appalled and um, you, know, you kind of think it's science fiction really, but unfortunately it's not. Just um, uh, in 2010, I say last year, but 2010, uh, there was a report from the chief scientist of the US Air Force that said that it won't be long before humans are the weakest part of the, the chain. And they were investigating seriously um, ways in which uh, humans, uh, the interface between humans and machines could be enhanced, either using genetics or um, um, all sorts of ways they were investigating because humans were becoming the weakest part in, in the chain. And that that's extremely worrying. And that sounds just like a science fiction
1: Dystopia, as you mentioned, but is yeah. it in
0: fact happening? It's, it's,
1: it's very bad. yeah, it's very worrying, and it is—it's pure science fiction, you know, except when it's not. Um, wow. One aspect of all this, um, which is we, we kind of touched upon it just a moment ago, is that we're thinking of drones. We're thinking of the um, you know UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles, but there are moves afoot as well on land-based systems. Um, certain types of vehicle and what we could only call robots, basically. That's also um, an area where this sort of technology is moving forward. Yes, certainly. I mean, I think the focus has been on unmanned aerial vehicles, but there
0: are land vehicles and seas and boats and, and other types of uh, 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 unmanned vehicles being developed. In There are unmanned land vehicles with, with guns attached to them that are being and have been used in Afghanistan, for instance, uh, but they're not very popular... And there are some problems with them. The unmanned aerial vehicles have really taken off, if you forgive the pun. Um, but there are also, um, you know, much investigation into what are called nano or micro drones, uh, where they were, they're made very small, um, and can swarm in groups and actually be able to be in touch with each other, um, this is kind of linked with cloud computing and things like that. Uh, this, this is a bit more distant, but again, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw this in the next decade.
1: Well, yeah, there's two issues there. One, this is a fascinating area that um, uh, one of the presentations that, um, that you did, you had some slides which showed um, tiny little um, uh, well, drones, for want of a better word. Uh, they looked like uh, insects, yeah. uh, little tiny birds. I mean this is a whole other I mean this there's no people be saying oh hold on a minute this is science fiction but this stuff's out there in development and we're going to see more of it and the the implications a lot of the issues are the same as with uh, with you know aerial drones but there's a whole range of other uh, implications there as well yes indeed I mean it's not particularly secretive I mean if
0: you go to BAE Systems website uh, they're quite proud of their work on micro drones and uh, nanotechnology Uh, and you you can read about it on their website.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that uh, came to light recently, uh, there was some uh, hysteria about it uh, in uh, certain corners of the media and uh, some misinformation, disinformation, uh, was a land-based system called the Energetically Autonomous Tactical Robot, um, known as the Eater for short. Now, this was developed by Robotic Technology Incorporated in the States, uh, but partly by Doctor uh, Doctor Robert Finkelstein, which I initially misread as Frankenstein. Where I've had a bit of a chuckle when I did that. <laughs> but and a story was going around that this was a uh, a land-based um, system that was a robotic system designed to power itself on organic matter, which is what it's designed to do. But this was going to effectively mean the en- the bodies of enemy combatants. So this robot was going to be in the combat zone, whatever, killing people and basically consuming their bodies. Now this has been uh, debunked somewhat, but the fact that uh, Robotic Technology Incorporated a- actually had a statement on their website debunking this was interesting in itself because it wasn't the claim wasn't seen as so outlandish and so extreme to just be completely ignored by them.
0: Yeah, yes, I mean that, that isn't one that I've come across, but um, yeah, another uh, similar thing I guess was the uh, recent media frenzy around nuclear-powered drones. You may have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that There was an um, uh, investigation by U.S. Uh, laboratory Sandia in the U.S. Uh, that they would power drones by uh, by a small nuclear reactor, by nuclear fuel, um, because, as we've already uh, discussed, the ability for drones to stay up in the air is one of the kind of real prized assets for the military. And one way that drones could stay longer up in the air would be if they were nuclear-powered. Um, But even uh, the the drone industry themselves recognized that would be a PR disaster to have uh, nuclear-powered drones fly around because one of the things that we haven't talked about is the fact that drones crash an awful lot. There are numerous crashes of drones. And so to combine uh, 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 this technology uh, is, is prone to crash, with nuclear power it was a disaster that even the nuclear, even the drone industry didn't want to take forward, thank goodness.
1: No, I mean, that would be uh, catastrophic because, um, of course, there wouldn't be much um, sort of fissile material in a, in, a, in a small aerial drone, but it doesn't take very much. And if you have that potentially spread all over the globe, that would be, um, I mean, that, as we've seen with nuclear power stations, accidents do happen. Absolutely. So, uh, but,
0: I mean, I think it was also because the drone industry, uh, recognize that there is skepticism amongst the public about drones. Mm-hmm. And they really don't want to do anything else at the moment that would increase that skepticism. So they're very intensely aware of the public perception of drones. So They're doing everything they can. There was even um, uh, a report recently by the British drone industry, which is going around trying to counter the negative image of drones, and suggesting that uh, manufacturers paint or, or manufacture their drones in pretty bright colours, hmm. like, uh, you know, in order to to overcome this negative view of drones, which is kind of ludicrous. And makes you kind of wonder what do these drone these military industrial executives really think of the public?
1: I know it's like saying, oh well, uh, here in Afghanistan, you know, a US drone blew up our wedding party by accident, but actually it was a pink drone, so that's okay. Exactly. Um, Well, that's probably why the story about the eater and the human bodies played so badly and they were so keen to um, have that one shut down. Um, The statement on uh, robotic technologies website uh, basically said, uh, we completely understand the public's concern about futuristic robots feeding on humans, but that is not our mission, (laughs) which is not the most reassuring uh, statement, perhaps less reassuring. And I know I'm sort of focusing on this just because it was a headline case. Sure. Uh, from recent times, but um, it's funded—that's this particular application—funded by DARPA, which is the U.S. military's Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So, when that's the money behind it, well, you, you know what the end game is, really, what the purpose uh, of that is.
0: I mean, and I think you know, lots of uh, DARPA projects do come to fruition. Um, I and mean, some of them, uh, you know, are supposed to be what they call blue skies thinking, but Um, a lot of them do lead uh, to to actual military technology that's that's being used.
1: Uh, Interestingly, there's also, um, in terms of where uh, land-based systems could end up or where they could be going, um, also from Robotic Technology, um, there's a section on their website um, addressing humanoid and legged robots, uh, which basically sets out the case for uh, working in this area Um, Because, well, to sum it up, it's that humans will interact most easily with robots that appear to be human. Uh, And again, realms of science fiction, but the work is going ahead. Serious people, serious money. And uh, if it doesn't happen, it'll be for technical reasons, not for any others. Uh, Now, the... Some of the issues with increasing use of drones, it seems to me uh, that we've not really touched upon. One is, for example, recruitment problems. And even though with the economy the way it currently is, um, certainly some young people are viewing the military as as a guaranteed job. But there's no doubt in the, the grander scheme of things, recruitment is an issue because for the longest time when, I know there's always wars going on, but Prior to 9-11, the military was often seen as a way to basically learn a skill and see the world and the chances of you ever being in combat were minimal. And that's changed now. So with recruitment issues, you could see how use of drones could ameliorate that, that somewhat. Uh, There's also with the length of um, combat tours, you know, some U.S. soldiers going back again and again with n- insufficient time off. There's a psychological strain on troops, which isn't an issue for drones. And there's also the issue, you know, of empathy, which ultimately even the most, you know, the coolest, most stony-faced special forces have got some empathy somewhere in them. And there's a subtle discernment that human beings can make, and this will be a, a increasing factor as if drones become more autonomous. And, of course, drones don't ask questions in the way that we do. Yes, I mean, there, there is, I mean, I've been to debates where people, you know,
0: argue, but drones are a good thing because, um, you know, some of the, uh, my massacres, as they kind of put it, come be- because, um, you know, you know, troops see their comrades or good friends, you know, shot dead and robots won't react in that emotional way and will be able to be much more controlled. But obviously the converse, as you rightly point out, is that drones cannot or robots won't be able to kind of feel empathy, you know, and when they see an injured uh, soldier you will not be able to stop from, from killing them or, you know, a, you know really know the difference between a, a combatant and a civilian. So, although people, you know, do sometimes try to portray that robots in war is a good thing, unfortunately, um, and, and kind of trying to program out, you know, the human being, you know, um, I think, you know, human beings are still very much needed and human beings are not the weak part of the, of the, the chain they're the best best thing that there is.
1: well yes and uh, speaking earlier about um, the issue of uh, you know taking uh, people out of the uh, decision-making chain um, being a strength but ultimately we're dealing here with conflicts uh, you know between people ideologies and ideas but it's it's human being it's human conflict and. If we it's not going to be possible to make it completely in the machine realm, no matter how many drones you have, because the drones themselves are not creating a problem. They don't have an ideology, a concept, a way of doing things, a religion or whatever it happens to be that some other drone or, or you know, some other human being is going to be opposed to. And if we ever get to a situation where drones have an ideology and are causing problems for us, then the cat's really out of the bag and we've gone too far with this. I mean,
0: that, that is the kind of ultimate goal, I think, for, for those who are kind of in, investigating and researching, is to combine, um, you know, is it, uh, uh, self-aware robotics, uh, self-aware, uh, and of course, once they become self-aware, they will then perhaps have ideologies and beliefs and philosophies, philosophies. philosophies. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, um, as we sort of, uh, the, the last area I want to get on to is actually uh, the overlap or the crossover into uh, the civilian arena, because this is not just a military phenomenon and we've touched upon a few issues um, uh, that would affect you know the civilian population, reasons why we sh- should be concerned basically. And civilian drone use is on the increase, uh, the typical application Uh, these days is is fairly harmless, but increasingly we'll see them being used as the the old eye in the sky, which is the staple of dystopian fiction, you know, from 1984 right through the whole panoply. And if we then factor in what you mentioned earlier about face recognition technology, and then perhaps link that to uh, databases, which we know are on the increase with all sorts of personal information being held on there, that itself could form quite a sort of spy and control grid uh, that could be applied um, in the civilian arena?
0: I mean, I, I, again, absolutely, that's, that's right, Brent. I think you know, there is a real concern um, that uh, once drones are allowed to fly within UK airspace, it will proliferate via security, uh, and be a security and privacy nightmare. Uh, one of the biggest shocks to me, I've been investigating this for a couple of years now, has just been that the US drone lobby had this massive success uh in the land of the free in the u.s where they um have uh, been mandated the, the federal aviation authority in the u.s has been mandated to allow drones to fly in civilian airspace by 2015 september 2015 which is an incredibly short space of time and um and, and that's caused a, a real furore in the US and, um, and it is going to happen. It's not like it's going to be discussed by 2015. They've been mandated that drones will fly in civil airspace by 2015. And what happens in the US tends fairly soon afterwards to come across the pond to Europe and to the UK. And here in the UK too, there is a really strong lobby, lobbying to allow drone, drones to have unlimited and unrestricted access to the skies. And that's um a project there's a program called Astrea, um which is funded fifty percent by the government but fifty percent by the big military companies, BAE System, Thales, Rolls Royce and others. And their uh, aim is to um change the regulations and to ensure that drones can fly within UK airspace. The Civil Aviation Authority here in the UK has been very strong and very strict, um, saying that safety has to be the, the primary uh, uh, thought here um, and that drones have to be safe. And as we know, they crash a lot. So there's a long way to go. But already, I mean, just to be clear, drones are, you are allowed to fly a drone in the UK airspace if you get what's called a permission from the CAA we've done some uh investigation using freedom of information acts and there are about 50 to 60 companies flying drones already in the UK uh, airspace but under strict conditions those drones aren't allowed to fly higher than 400 feet or more than half a mile from the operator and they're not allowed to be operated over individuals or buildings so there are fairly strict controls but they are flying at the moment. And um, there is a real push, particularly from here in the UK, but also at the European level, to open up British British skies to unmanned aerial vehicles. And we have to strongly resist that, I think, for a number of reasons. Firstly, safety, but also privacy. One of the things that we've asked uh, the Civil Aviation Authority is about what these drones, these 50 to 60 companies, are doing with their drones in the UK and their response is well that's that's not their remit their remit is safety to ensure the drones are flying safely but it's not their remit to investigate what the people are doing with drones and nobody it appears nobody has responsibility for ensuring privacy here in this country except the information commissioner and we suspect uh, that the information commissioner isn't adequately wanted to operate in this area but anyway, uh, there is a real concern uh, that drones will, uh, the drone lobby will um, be able to open up British skies in the way that the US drone lobby has. And this must be resisted.
1: Well, I think there was um, at least one police force in the UK, I think it was in Essex, had trialled um, a drone, uh, presumably for I don't know, surveillance Uh sure. Uh, purposes. I'm not sure that that was entirely successful. I haven't heard any, any oh, more about that.
0: that. There have been about three or four police forces. They they are among the 50 or 60 permissions that have been granted, but none of them, as you say, have been successful. There, there was one in Merseyside. Merseyside Police Force uh, triumphed for the fact that they had um, had a, their first arrest by a drone, but then the civil Asian authority really clamped down on them, saying they hadn't had a, a license at that time. And the uh, the drone, the Merseyside drone, has subsequently crashed and ended up literally in the Mersey. And other other police forces have also had similar problems. Um, that's not to say, uh, and some people will argue, well, you know, drone there is a, a potential use for, for for unmanned vehicles, you know, um, you know, in terms of safety, in terms of rest, fire and rescue and things like that, and that's certainly possible. But the primary Push the primary all the money behind the development of drones for civil use is currently in 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 in, in the military and security uh, sector,
1: and that's that's the
0: worrying part.
1: Yes, I know that this is a wider point, but I can't help thinking that if we're in a situation where you know more drones are needed, not just to take the place of something, but to you know be an adjunct and add on to something else, then you know we ha- we have a problem. and you know just sort of that's what i can't it's like saying oh we've recruited many more police this year is it well if we need more and more police going forward we have a problem and i think it's just the same with drones and talking of drones being used in a police context uh that's not then a million miles whether these trials have been unsuccessful or not that's not a million miles away from the prospect of an armed civilian drone um well we know
0: in the u.s that they've um, uh have trialed uh, tasers on, on, on drones. The police in the US have tried tasers. So again, as you say, I, I don't think it's a, a prospect that's imminent, but it's certainly not beyond the bounds of possibility that uh, police forces would want to arm drones. As, as, we, as I said, they've already trialed tasers.
1: So we one, may we may not see it in our. Well, say we may not see it in our lifetimes. But it wouldn't be surprised if we did. You know, down exactly. the down the shopping mall being confronted by RoboCop saying, papers, please, here are my papers. Those are not your papers. No, they are my papers. Computer says, no, bang, you're dead. <laughs> Sounds a That's bit hard. facetious, but, you know, it's, it wouldn't surprise me. Now, the issue of, oddly enough, uh, has come up the the issue of uh, disrupting drones. You say that they crash a lot and that uh, we were talking earlier about using drones against Uh, you know, insurgents or small uh, so-called terrorist groups that maybe don't, you know, don't have access to sort of technology and and funding that the the mainstream military would. um, There's still an issue of like, does the technology exist? And if it doesn't, it would certainly, you'd presume it would be developed to basically fight back against drones uh, using more than just conventional weaponry. I don't know if, if you know anything about that area. Well, I mean, it, it isn't, uh, I mean, it's, it's entirely logical, isn't it? Well, and it's,
0: it's kind of part of history that every time a, a new weapon is developed, it's not long before something is developed to counter it. Um, and certainly, um, there have been, uh, discoveries in Afghanistan, uh, on laptops of the video feed from drones, U.S. drones operating. And that was kind of embarrassing because it was discovered that the video feed from the drones hadn't actually been encrypted, and um, uh, Al Qaeda or Taliban sources had managed to, to hack in and get the video feed. It would be very difficult, I would imagine, to hack and take over control of a drone because they're operated by uh, you know hardened satellites. But you know who's to say that it won't happen? I mean, hackers seem to be able to get into anywhere and everywhere these days. And of course, Iran claims that they. Uh, hacked in and grounded the RQ170 drone, Sentinel drone, that crashed in, uh, well, I suspect crashed in in Iran uh, just before Christmas, but they claim that they brought it down by spoofing its GPS uh, receiver. We don't know that for sure. Uh, So, yes, uh, it, it, it won't be long before there is a kind of battle over control of drones,
1: Well, perhaps one indicator uh, might be that DARPA, them again, uh, they're currently developing, ironically, something called HELADS, which you may have heard of. It's the High Energy Liquid Laser Area Defense System. They do like their fancy acronyms. This is basically a laser system, which unlike uh, current military lasers, which uh, are huge size of a plane, this thing will fit on the back of a small truck and you'll be able to use it to bring down drones developed by DARPA.
0: Yeah, and then, and then we will, of course, get into the kind of area of drones protecting themselves. Um, and, uh, yes, we go on into dystopia, as you said.
1: Quite. Well, perhaps that's um point where we should uh, wrap it up for today, Chris. It's been absolutely fascinating with so many areas that we've got into and could get into. And as you say, uh, in general, in drone uh, development and deployment, still early days. So this is by no means a mature technology. Um, but perhaps in closing you could um, tell listeners about uh, your website uh, say something about the drone wars briefing document which you put together that's obviously something that's updated and uh, perhaps I don't know if you've got any forthcoming talks or presentations that you want to mention sure thanks
0: yeah that was a really interesting and wide-ranging discussion thanks for that Yes, uh, the the website that Greg mentioned is uh, www.dronewars.net, which is a kind of regularly updated blog with information about the use of uh, drones and UAVs from a UK perspective, but also covering um, other countries as well. And uh, again, as Greg said, there are a couple of briefings that we've written that are on there. And there are also links to other uh, sources of information, from those who are challenging drones and also from the military about what they're up to in drones. And again, as Greg said, I kind of uh, travel around the country speaking about this, so have a look at the website and you'll see some of the dates. And if you're interested in inviting me to speak to a local group, you can also contact me through the website.
1: Chris Cole, uh, Drone Wars UK. Thank you very much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thanks, Greg. Thanks a lot. Well, that's it for this time. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the issues discussed today, DroneWars.net is the perfect place to start. Until next time, I'm Greg Moffat, and you've been listening to LegalizeFreedom.com We don't know
0: us or them, but we know that it was us that scorched the sky.